What makes Williams Winery a generational prospect? Plus, we'll check in on the possible future Missouri quarterbacks and Isaiah Mosey as well coming up right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso, and yes, a football and basketball fan. So we are going to talk hoops later in the show, including why I think the NCAA has really just traded one absurd rule interpretation for another on the hardwood this season. But we're going to start off with football today. Got Brian Smith in here to talk all about Missouri's future, recruiting. We even make our Super Bowl picks as well. So let's get to Brian here coming up. But first, I do want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, visit FanDuel.com to get started. And you know what? Let's get started with Brian Smith. All right, joining me once again, our old friend Brian Smith to talk a little recruiting. He is, of course, the chief executive officer (laughs) of recruiting here at the Locked On Podcast Network. And as always, when we talk recruiting here, I want to remind you that these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on college the terms and conditions apply and you know what brian i want to get into the 25 class here in a little bit but before we get there i know we've talked about it many times before but let's just recap missouri's 2024 class here just a little bit we know you're a huge fan of williams winery you've said before he's a generational type prospect who else do you like Who, who are some of your other favorite guys off the top of your head in that missouri class uh, the, the one guy that I don't think gets enough attention, although he's ranked pretty high by depending on the service, like 247 has him nationally top 50, and that's Crutchfield. But because he's from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, not many people talk about it. Right. I think he has a chance to come in and play and be on the 2D pretty quick. He just has to pick up some of the playbook that never changes. But he's twitchy. He can take it deep. He can take a screen. He can go anywhere you want him to go, inside, outside guy. He's going to play early. And I'm going to be a little biased because I've lived in Florida for so long. Elias is, is going to be a guy. And so is Cameron. Elias uh, Williams. Yeah, Elias Williams Hudson. He's just north, about an hour north of Tampa. He was a kid that blew up, and he started getting interest from all the major programs down south. Missouri getting him was a really nice nice get. He, he developed from about 230 to 260-plus in the last year or so. So I think eventually he's going to be a three-tech. But he's a kid that could absolutely move and change direction. The other kid, he's in the panhandle, so he doesn't get as much attention. It's Cameron Keys, cornerback. You can never have enough of those. He plays at Mosley. It's one of the better programs in the panhandle, right there on the edge of Panama City. He could be your number one corner at some point. He would be ranked higher, but he's up in the panhandle. Not many guys are up there. If he lived down in Orlando or Tampa in the areas I live, that'd, that'd be a little different deal. 
those kids stand out to me. And then the last one is James Madison. I'm sure you've talked a lot about him on your show. St. Thomas Aquinas kid. He's actually from Missouri originally. Moved down there to play football. And he's an absolute stud. He's underrated by all accounts. He can fly and he's 6'3". So anytime you get an STA kid, that's great because they're well coached too. Well, that's great to hear. And no doubt we've got uh, quite a few STA kids. And uh, yeah, on James Madison, not only uh, do you like him as a football player, I think Missouri fans have already found that they like him off the field as well. He's got a lot of personality and has been one of the kind of the big cheerleaders for this class and recruiters off the field. So good to hear all that. Just quickly, Brian, just on Williams Winery, what I know others who have heard you before, but a lot of people are tuning into the show all the time. New listeners. Welcome by the way, but what is it about Williams Winery that gives you such confidence in his ability? When you walk up to him and you shake his hand, you're like, okay, this guy, except for the face, looks like he's 25. (laughs) Uh, That's like literally. And he's a nice guy. Easy going. But the way he moves in space for somebody that's 250 or above, his side-to-side movement, his change of direction skill is more like a 210 guy than a 250 guy. I was at Under Armour and the practices leading up to the the All-Star game, and he'd play in an upright stance on the edge. Sometimes he'd drop. Sometimes he'd kind of play conservatively, then fill it out and then take off. Whenever he puts his foot in the ground and moves, you say NFL player. You can't teach that. Now, does he pick up scheme? Again, that stuff is is impossible to project, and that at the end of the day is why somebody does or doesn't make it. But, I mean, physically, you can't put him off a computer screen any better. 6'4", 6'5", 250, and can run like a deer. So, yeah, I mean, that's what you're looking for in your edge rusher, your outside line. It doesn't matter what scheme it is. Give me that guy, and we'll figure it out. Uh, Winery is, is a very special talent. Yeah, good to hear. And sounds like at least so far, he's a pretty easy guy to get along with all that yeah. good stuff. So yeah, all systems go so far for Williams when area would seem be fun to see him hopefully on the field next year for the Tigers. I think he'll contribute at the very least next season for Mizzou. You know what? One more guy for the the 24 class. I'd like to ask you about a little bit. Of course, love to talk about the quarterback position. Any thoughts on Aiden Glover, who is Missouri's lone quarterback commit for 2024 at this moment? he's a guy that i think is a developmental piece he's not going to be an impact player per se they don't need him to be but i think he kind of fits their kind of their trajectory of the last couple guys they've had uh the quarterback that's starting now didn't have a lot of fanfare coming into this last year they can coach in missouri their offensive system works it just takes a while obviously the receiving corps they have is getting better and better that also helps but i think he's a kid that can play i was watching his film again today I've, i've seen it a couple other times by his redshirt sophomore year, could he be the starter at Missouri? Yes. Is he the guy that's the five-star that Alabama and Georgia wanted? No. But he has the intangibles, and he throws it underneath. He won't force the ball, and he has touch. He can put the ball where he needs to throw it. So after he gets another couple of years in the weight room, I, I imagine his arm strength will get better too. But, yeah, he's he's a good player. just needs some time to develop. Sure. And yeah, you'd certainly expect that. And, you know, that's good information there because I think there's a lot of Missouri fans right now are wondering, hey, if Sam Horn, we just had some information an hour or two ago as we record here on Wednesday afternoon, that Horn may have hurt his, his arm uh, in, in baseball practice. So Ooh. Missouri's backup quarterback could be a question there. So sounds like 
Aiden Glover, you wouldn't have expected that, but just wanted to make sure. Doesn't sound like he's going to be ready to be your, your main backup or anything like that. So seems to me when that April portal window window opens, Missouri will probably be looking for a quarterback. So I would imagine so. Again, we'll, we'll 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 have to see. There may be some more information here uh, as this as this podcast is is airing here about Sam Horn, but we'll just have to see. And you know what? Let's transition here to twenty twenty five, Brian. I want to talk about even more into the future here, just a little bit. There's actually we were just talking about quarterbacks. There's a twenty twenty five quarterback from the state of Pennsylvania named Matt Zollers. Missouri just made his final four that he put out along with. Penn State, Pittsburgh, a couple local teams there in state schools, along with Missouri and Georgia. It would seem to me that Penn State is the obvious team to beat here. But what do you think about Matt Zollers just in terms of his talent and if Missouri has a legit shot here? I don't know if a kid from that area is going to leave if Penn State's really putting the pedal to the metal. I've heard a varying amounts of things about him as far as what Penn State's trying to do because they're recruiting a lot of guys. But it seems like they kind of came around, they're kind of centering on him of late. You would think Penn State. But as far as the player, he's a run-pass guy. He could move the pocket and make throws and extend the play, or he can run RPO and just take off. But he's probably the best in-state quarterback in Pennsylvania, good sign. And he's a kid that has enough size that he could probably play as a redshirt freshman. I would say he's a top 200 recruit. And quite honestly, he's the kind of player that I think would be interesting in Missouri scheme because their passing game's good, but it's not like they run the ball a whole lot with their with their quarterbacks. Adding that extra dimension would be pretty interesting. And quickly, just let me jump in here for a second and wish all of you a happy Super Bowl from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, you absolutely cannot wait for this game. The Kansas City Chiefs are there again. I can't wait to be watching it down in my luscious basement once again, hopefully celebrating another victory. But speaking of victories, hey, Patrick Mahomes now plus 150 to be the Super Bowl MVP of Super Bowl 58. Hey, if I liked it at 135 and 140, you're darn right. I like it at plus 150. So yeah, let's pile into that one. What the heck? But no matter what, FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on the winner of Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has every prop you could possibly imagine from who's going to score the first touchdown, how many points are going to be scored in the ball game, not just over-unders, but you can get other ranges too for even better odds and so much more new customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins just visit fanduel.com slash locked on to sign up that's fanduel.com slash locked on make every moment more with fanduel an official sports book partner of the nfl 
Now, that's interesting to me, too. It actually brings up something I wanted to ask you about, which he's actually listed at Rivals.com, for instance, as a pro-style quarterback. Well, you just said he could run the ball a little bit. I, kinda, I can kind of see where you're going. I think I know where you're going with this. But to me, I, I think the whole idea of having pro-style versus dual-threat rankings at this point is, to me, a distinction without a meaning. Why are we still doing this? Because it's not as though when we're comparing Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, we're going, well, Lamar, he's the dual threat versus Mahomes, who's the pro style. I mean, we're just comparing their skill sets. That's all we're doing here, right? Yeah, I mean, like Lamar could play about ten positions. Right. Okay? He's he's as athletic as any human being sure. on planet Earth. He has his own category. <laughs> right. So Mahomes is the more traditional dual threat quarterback. Sure. He'll take off and get the fifteen yards. But the most important thing: do you make the first guy miss, extend the play, and give your guys time? Right. That's the yes or no checkbox. Right. Zorris fits that, and he'll go get you eight yards. Second down and two never goes out of style. So that's what you're looking for. Imagine what Cook would be like. I mean, he could run some, don't get me wrong. But if he had just like that one extra gear, or if he took off a little more, and they may not want him to because getting hit by SEC linebackers is not friendly. But at the same time, that's the game now. There's a lot more risk than there used to be with quarterbacks. They used to tell quarterbacks, do everything you can, don't run. Yeah, oh, it's the opposite. So right. yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. There are a lot of guys that are listed as pro style. Right. They run for 300 yards. I'm like, that's sure. Not, that's not pro style. That's not what pro style guys do. But yeah, you're right. But where's just, going on though? Just feels like so. It just feels like a little bit of a vestige from a, a different era because I just remember growing up in like the 90s. Like, okay, sure. When in high school, yeah, Tommy Frazier, somebody oh, like the gosh. option style quarterbacks versus you know guys who would actually drop back can throw the ball I could see that distinction but it seems like to your point these days almost everybody is trying to prove that they can do it all really throw from the pocket and move around a little bit so I just thought eh, it seems like a little bit of an old thing to me but that, that's just my pet peeve here Brian but you know what a little bit more how about on the 2025 class looking just to the state of Missouri in general you've got hey Isaiah Mosey who is actually who's on Lee Summit North I believe a, a teammate of, of Williams Winery. His his dad is, I believe, the high school coach, the head coach over there. So an interesting prospect on a lot of different ways. Lee Summit North really become quite the football factory here. But do you have any thoughts on Isaiah Mosey, who's a receiver and currently the top-ranked player in the 2025 class in the state of Missouri? I saw him last summer at, elite, at the uh, Future 50 event that Under Armour does down at IMG Academy. That's, you know, top of the top players in the country. And he stood out. He can change direction well. He catches the ball in traffic well. Very competitive kid. And he's, when he puts his foot in the ground, again, he's explosive. He's a guy that would play early in an SEC school. I think that's probably the easiest determination I can give you. Oklahoma and everybody else is trying to get him. I'm sure that, you know, Illinois, Iowa, all the schools in the Midwest. But I think he'll end up in the SEC and probably Missouri's going to be in the mix. Oklahoma's, you know, somebody picked them on 247 to get him. I don't know how much stock I put in that, but this is the kind of kid, if you're in Missouri, you can't leave. I mean, last year, they only got like three out of the top 15 kids in the state of Missouri by rivals. After the year they had, that's kind of disappointing. I know one area was one of them, but you have to get two or three of the top five guys. And this is the kind of the barometer they need to get to. I don't know what his schedule is for a commitment. I haven't talked to him since last summer. But you can set the standard if you could get him to commit early, because that would be a class grabber and, and the attention grabber you need. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I think that is true. If Missouri could get him in early, yeah, I could pay some some even bigger dividends oh, yeah. in the future, no doubt. And, and, well, you know what? I brought up Patrick Mahomes and really plan on it. So one more thing here before we get out of here. you have any thoughts on the Super Bowl? I'm, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, but, but don't let that bias you at all, Brian. I can I can take the truth, my friend. Well, it's pretty simple to me. In close games, the better team will win if they've got the better quarterback. I think we both know who that is. I'm not picking on San Francisco anyway. they got a great football team. Sure. I'll take Mahomes every time in this game. Yep. I don't care what the spread is. I care less. I'll take Mahomes and the Chiefs. I think I will too, and, and this isn't like an anti-Brock Purdy thing from me either, and obviously I'm biased. I'm just going to go with the Chiefs, but if I'm if I'm looking at this, I really think especially in the Super Bowl, having experience in that game actually is really, really important because it is unlike any other game you're ever going to play. Neutral field, just the glitz and the glamour, the longer, the longer lead into the game, the longer halftime, all that stuff. The Chiefs have been there. Andy Reid's been there. Patrick Mahomes has been there, whereas obviously Brock Purdy has not. I got to lean toward the Kansas City Chiefs as well. Hopefully that'll happen. But hey, Brian Smith, thank you all. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, you're always going to be the champion of Locked On Recruiting. I can promise you that. So thanks as always for joining me, Brian. Thank you very much, sir. Well, this Missouri basketball team right now feels as if it's trapped inside of a black hole from which there is no escape. Even gravity and light itself cannot escape from the black hole from which Missouri currently finds itself in. Because when you saw before the game that Sean East out with a knee contusion day-to-day with that injury he suffered against Vanderbilt, continued to play against Vanderbilt, obviously ended up getting a little bit worse after he basically stopped playing, essentially. So without East, who obviously has had a really good season for the Tigers for the most part, you've got three guys who can score. Noah Carter, Tamar Bates, and Nick Honor. Everybody else is kind of a minus or a zero in the offensive category, if I'm being brutally honest. And even at one point, I'm going, gosh, what if we just went small? What if we went ultra small? Maybe play Aiden Shaw at center and let his athleticism take over. But the truth is, we don't have enough guards on this team right now to even do that. And at the beginning of the season, Obviously, Missouri has suffered a lot of injuries and bad luck, and I just don't think that that was even on the table, the idea that, oh, we're not going to have enough bodies to basically get through the season. We're practically there right now, and obviously, there's been at times Dennis Gates and Missouri have tried some three forward stuff, playing three forwards in their five-man lineup. Not sure how really effective that's been either. I, I don't know what the answer is for Missouri right now. But I do know that there's got to be an answer to officiating in NCAA basketball because for years I really had felt like the over-reliance on the charge play defensively and the, the love referees, of course, had for calling charges when essentially it's not even about being said. It's about guys not getting beat to the spot. Like essentially, hey, 
I'm really glad that college basketball, long story short, has gotten rid of a lot of the charges where, hey, at the last second, a guy's already airborne, a defender slides under you, takes a charge, quote unquote. Really, in reality, what they're doing is they're undercutting you. And not only is that, to me, not a good basketball play, that's not good defense, it's actually dangerous too. So I'm glad that the NCAA has more or less gotten much of that bogus charge out of the game. I still think maybe we've gone a little bit too far with the charge. That's more debatable. To me, what's not up for debate is now defenders have basically no chance to stop any type of good dribble penetration because you saw it over and over again yesterday. Texas A&M's players, it, it, it got to a point of absurd, absurdity when Tyrese Radford just threw the ball up in the air over his head left-handed after just jumping into the Missouri defender. I believe it was Jordan Butler at the time, just expecting a call. And that's what you saw over and over again is defenders just leaping into, excuse me, offensive players leaping into defenders, drawing the contact, initiating the contact, more importantly. And there's really nothing that the defensive players can do about it. If you're not going to let them draw charges, especially in terms of the secondary defenders, the help defenders, that's fine, but you have to at least let the guys chest up a little bit in terms of dribble penetration. There's going to be some contact occasionally, but not every bit of contact has to go to the offensive player's benefit of the doubt. And by the way, when it comes to blocking off and rebounding these days, I have absolutely no clue what a foul is anymore. I really don't. Really, the way that game was officiated yesterday, I think at a certain point, you just let Tamar Bates give him the ball and just let him drive to the basket with reckless abandon because that's basically all Texas A&M was doing, and, well, they took home the victory. If anything, we needed more more shots from Bates yesterday, although he certainly played a good game. Not trying to put even more on his plate. Played 38 minutes yesterday. We're basically asking him to be the number one option offensively when he's never really been that his entire career. And I don't think he necessarily expected to take that role this season either. So obviously not the greatest set of circumstances for Missouri so far this season. And you know what? Speaking of circumstances, I was thinking yesterday, how many teams have made zone defense actually work? Because the one three one, well, that's basically become Missouri's set defense here the last few ball games. And it got me thinking in the history of basketball how many teams and programs have actually made zone defense work? Let's talk about that here in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about game time because, you know what, if I had an extra 100 bucks in Las Vegas, if I were there for the big game, you know what I would do? Obviously, I'd put it on Patrick Mahomes to win the Super Bowl MVP so I could then have another $150. But I'll tell you what, game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. And right now, all users get $100 off when they buy a ticket to the big game with code VEGAS100. And I'll tell you, when you go through the game time app, hey, I know a lot of us can't actually 
afford tickets to the big game. I understand that. But you've got all the options in the world from local professional wrestling to, of course, Mizzou football, Mizzou basketball, the St. Louis Blues. Baseball is just around the corner. If you're looking for ways to to save money on tickets at the last minute, hey, take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now, all Game Time users get that $100 off a big game ticket with code Vegas100. Terms apply. Just download the Game Time app or use code VEGAS100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed. I've been following basketball, specifically college basketball, for this discussion for well over 30 years, quite closely at this point. And it just got me thinking the other day, I don't know, my my philosophy is that generally speaking, if you're playing a lot of zone defense in basketball, well, that, my friends, is an admission of defeat. That means you basically suck at defense for all intents and purposes. And I got to thinking in my head as I was spacing off during yet another semi-depressing Missouri home basketball game, I thought, who has made zone defense work in the history of basketball? Well, obviously, we're talking college here. You haven't really been able to play zone defense until fairly recently in the NBA, and you still just don't really see it all that much with a few exceptions. But in terms of college basketball, of course, the obvious example is Jim Bayheim at Syracuse. Of course, yeah, he made zone defense work for him. No question about it. That 2-3 zone, a unique concept, something that enabled him to recruit, I think, fairly uniquely. And hey, actually buying in and making zone defense the staple of your program, hey, I can see an argument for that. I really can. And then I thought, you know what? There is one more example I can think of. John Chaney, the matchup zone at Temple University. And then you know what? Who's the third example? Do you have one off the top of your head? Don't Google it. Maybe maybe Google it in five minutes or something like that when this show's over. But genuinely, let think about that for a second because I truly cannot think of another example of a program that was successful that built itself around zone defense in basketball. I can think of two in the history of college basketball. So to my point, if you're running zone defense, that's an admission of defeat. So you know what? If you're Dennis Gates... I think you got to take a long look in the mirror and ask yourself, do my defensive principles actually work? Why do my guys keep helping off of the strong side corner, the easiest pass and one of the most efficient shots in basketball is to a, a driver from the wing to the strong side corner for a wide open three pointer. It's about as efficient of a shot as you're going to get in the game other than a dunk basically. So to me, not only that, but the the constant switching of Dennis Gates, hey, 
Maybe it's going to work better with bigger guards when we recruit them in, when those guys cycle themselves in. But so far, two years in, not a lot of evidence that this is a good defensive principled program at this point. And the one thing that I've never really thought about switching before, hey, there's a lot of advantages to switching, no question about it. And as I've said before, if you're trying to defend a three-pointer late in the game in particular, I'm almost more into just doing the switch everything and guarding the three-point line than necessarily taking a foul in some circumstances. But one thing I had never totally thought about until last night about switching is it makes scouting tendencies harder. Think about that. Instead of knowing your man, instead of if I'm a center, hey, I know who the starting center is on the other team, and I can watch his film, know his tendencies, know if he likes to put the ball on the floor with his left or his right, and if he does so, maybe he has a, a, a strong move and a counter move off of that, and that's about all he's got. Well, that's a fairly decent amount of information just right there to keep in mind, and especially when you're playing two games a week, maybe even three games a week. Obviously, in March, you get into even more frequent playing. Well, guess what? If I'm switching onto guards now, I'm probably not going to know the point guard's tendency. If I'm a center, if I'm having to switch everything, not only do I know, need to know my guy's tendency, well, in theory, I need to know the tendencies of basically everybody on the roster now, including guards. And by the way, Big guys just aren't going to be as good at recognizing guard tendencies, remembering them, and vice versa. By the way, if you're a guard, you just don't, you're not going to know what to look for, the tricks of the trade, and all that stuff. Again, that's just my opinion, partially based on my own experience from playing basketball, but mostly just based on knowing human nature and our own limited capacity to remember things and process information, especially in the heat of battle like, like happens here in college basketball. So again, I'm not saying that a switch-heavy defense can't work, but there are limits to it, and you've got to recruit a specific type of roster to do it. I think defensively, at a certain point, you just got to you got to have some principles and and some some tendencies that actually play to your strengths and not just to whatever your system is. At a certain point, the best coaches all set up a system that works for the players they have not the players that you wish that you have in the future. And with all that being said, thanks for joining me here on Locked on Mizzou. As per usual, thanks for making this show your first listen every day. For your second listen, check out Locked on Sports Today on YouTube and on Amazon Fire TV as well.